Welcome to the New Books Network. Hola y bienvenidos to New Books in Latino Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Jaime Sanchez Jr. Today, Frederick Aldama joins us on the podcast to discuss his new edited volume, Decolonizing Latinx Masculinities, published by the University of Arizona Press in 2020. Aldama is a distinguished university professor at The Ohio State University, with appointments in both English and the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. Frederick, welcome to New Books Latino. Thank you. Thank you, Jaime. Before we start talking about the book, could you briefly tell us a bit about yourself and your past research? Yeah. Um, well, so I got my BA from Berkeley, and, uh, you know, like many of us, of my generation at least, you know, the idea was that I would either become some an engineer or a doctor because, you know, that's what we did if one of us made it to college. Um, but while I was really excited about becoming a pedi- pediatric doctor, after my first year, I realized that my real true passion was in literature and at UC Berkeley with the guidance of really, really incredible faculty like Barbara Christian and Alfred Arteaga and Hanara Padilla and uh, others like Abdul Jan Mohammed, I found my way to literature, and that's when I decided mm, I want to I want to pursue this and become a professor and do this stuff. So went on to Stanford, got my PhD, working under Ramon Saldivar, and um, then my first job was at CU Boulder, the University of Colorado Boulder. And I moved from there in 05 to the Ohio State University, where I've been since. Um, I am now a distinguished university professor there. I've authored, co-authored, and edited over 48 books. Uh, My Latinx Superheroes in Mainstream Comics was the winner of an Eisner Award for Best Scholarly Work, which is a big kind of deal in comic studies and really a big area where I've been doing a lot of my work. My kids' book that I I just published literally came out, you know, a couple months ago, The Adventures of Chupacabra Charlie. Um, and I have, I created a big outreach program called Laser Latinx Space for Enrichment and Research, where I have hubs all over the city of Columbus working in high schools to make sure that there are pipelines for Latinx high schoolers to spaces like the Ohio State University. Fun fact, uh, my childhood nickname, and it's a, it's a family secret that now is public, um, was Chupacabra. I was the Chupacabra as a, as a little kid. <laughs> Very uh, cool. You can imagine the traumatic uh, memories that that might bring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe had you had my Chupacabra, Charlie... Uh, in your life as a kid, you would have felt better. He's vegetarian, so he doesn't have fangs. And he's like super educated. He's like, he's a polymath. He knows tons of languages. And he's 10 years old, but wants to go on an adventure. So he and Lupe go on this great adventure, uh, meeting all sorts of really cool folks and end up saving these uh, children that have been put in cages on the um, north side of the wall of the the U.S.-Mexico border. So, yeah, you would have been super into Chupacabra Charlie. Wow. Love it. Love it. Well, let's let's get back to it. Um, What was the motivation behind creating this edited collection of essays? You know, this is one of those things where you, you... there are a couple of volumes that have just come out that I put together. One is on Latinx cinema in the 21st century, 
I've got one coming out on Latinx TV in the 21st century. I, I mentioned that because it's, it's, there's kind of been a little bit of a gap, I want to say, between kind of what's been going on in our scholarship and our creative work in issues and in and around gender sexualities and, you know, what's getting published and kind of seen and read and taught. And so we had, you know, these big bursts that were happening, especially with, you know, Andaldua and, and Moraga and Carla Trujillo and others uh, way back um, decades ago. Um, and then we've had some amazing scholarship, you know, in the recent, um, you know, decade or so from new generation scholars, uh, you know, across the country that are really pushing us to think about new ways to think about sexualities and genders. Um, but really, the, the, I, what we wanted to do, what I wanted to do, and my brother as well on this one was to reach out to new gen scholars like yourself, like really new gen, like PhDs or freshly minted PhDs, and find out what's going on in those spaces to decolonize, um, you know, the way we've been thinking, even, even in the most emancipating, theorizing, and creative work to really go to these spaces to really rethink all of this from your generation's perspective. I think that's that's really important. And you and you alluded a bit to, or I guess uh, foregrounded a bit, the my next question, which is naturally the intersection of racialization and sexuality is a central focus of many of the essays in this volume. And you mentioned some of the established works in the field that set the stage for the project, including Ansaldua. What direction or tone do you think this book tries to set for the future of this field that you might describe as masculinity studies? Yeah. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. Masculinities studies, masculinities in the plural, right? Always um, for what we're trying to do. Okay, so we can kind of think about waves, waves, waves that um, go from, um, you know, this first like identifying and making visible. And, you know, we saw that with Anzaldua and Moraga and this bridge called My Back and the third uh, women's feminist movement, all of the really important foundational work that was really identifying um, identifying not just the complex range of how we exist in our families and in our communities sexually um, uh, in terms of gender identification, non-binary identification, even before the term. Um, um, but then we kind of started moving and in a way it sort of, I want to say that it started to solidify into spaces like gay uh, and then lesbian. And um, it started to kind of harden in, you know, in good and important ways, but harden in ways too that we in the 21st century have kind of needed to come back to and like look at from a different perspective 
really look at from other ways of understanding even those important spaces that were excavated in terms of knowledge and existence. Does that make sense? So we we needed to, you know, the heart, you know, one of the things about knowledge is that when it starts to harden, it and it becomes less elastic, it it creates its own binaries. And what we're seeing with the work today in masculinities studies is really a bringing back an infusion of vitality and flexibility to kind of re-stretch and maneuver within and outside and across masculinities. So the essays in this book are split into four main sections. First, there's hybrid forms, then transmedial detoxifications, next, troubling story worlds, and finally, why the Latinx matters. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about what each category of essays brings to the table? Yeah, this is great. So one of the other really important impulses in putting this together was to also allow for the creative to coexist with the scholarly. Both Arturo and I are really, we really think that these spaces, uh, there needs to be more proaction to, uh, to wipe clean this line drawn in the sand between the creative and the scholarly. And so the first section is really, we wanted, we invited, um, you know, scholar creators um, to, you know, come to this question of masculinities and come to this question in ways where they can move between the creative and the scholarly and not feel at all constrained by, say, the need to footnote, etc. And so, yeah, so we have John Michael Rivera's very autoethnographic piece on Billy the Kid and what that meant for him as a research scholar, but also how that took him to these different places of a, a hardened masculinity in and through not only his life, but also the, the Latinx research archive. And so really kind of going into history, the history of U.S. land grabs and the expropriations, but in a beautifully fluid way, moving in and out of his own story and the work that he does himself in the archives. Same thing with someone like Alberto Ledesma, right, who is, um, I published one of his graphic um, autobiographies, The Diary of a Reluctant Dreamer, inviting him to bring pen to paper, as well as to bring his art into this space to interrogate his own Bildungsroman, his own, say, education of the self, and how um, the machista, you know, politics of his family life and of being undocumented constrained the expression of his own range of masculinities and where, you know, he felt like he was being put into these kind of hyper-masculine spaces in order to survive. So, you know, that first section was really important for, for that. 
the transmedial detoxifications, again, really tuned into 21st century ways that stories are uh, created and disseminated. And in this way, thinking about cinema and TV, especially, but also music, um, other pop cultural spaces, um, you know, Jane, so Jane the Virgin, as well as films like La Mission, um, Mosquita y Mari, you know, all of these. And having our scholars, inviting our scholars, you know, working within Joteria uh, theory. Um, already kind of to go at these and untangle, help us understand better how kind of mainstreamed and then Latinx created and disseminated stories either solidify or they complicate, you know, what it means to perform Latinx masculinities and then sort of decolonize those performance spaces, um, really pushing at and interrogating the use of, you know, um, the derogatory sort of terms toward our brothers and sisters that, you know, our families have kind of brought in um, and how the mainstream transmedial spaces perpetuate. But then, of course, how, you know, very importantly, we're creating counter narratives that decolonize those, those those that language and those terminologies the troubling story worlds uh, really as a, a push a, a kind of definitive push in and through all sorts of different spaces against ter- the terms like machismo by latinxes by latinos and latinas really the 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 deep interrogation of the toxic the weight toxic masculinities have spread through our communities, both materially, linguistically, culturally, even politically, and interrogating how this is pathologized um, in and through mainstream cultural stereotypes, and then how, for instance, YA texts by Latinx creators today are de you know, decolonizing in important ways by complicating and offering and depicting and growing characters that um, offer a range of different ways of existing uh, across masculinities. Ben Sign's work, for example. Um, and yeah, so a whole range there, you know, looking at how literature has, by Latinxes has really kind of pushed against, questioned, and also presented a complex range of ways that we can role model and self-identify. The Why the Latinx Matters section um, really, really putting in the forefront uh, gender queer, the gender queering X and why that's important and how this can take us to kind of our pre-Columbian roots before uh, colonial histories and legacies started to operate and control our emotion and behavior systems that turned us into kind of, you know, individuals and families and communities acting out of fear instead of 
love and embrace. Um, so really the, that section embracing the equis, the X and seeing where that takes us, um, you know, in all of these different spaces, it could be radio, it could be, um, you know, music, um, Kid Congo, it could be, you know, um, the way, uh, you know, we're decolonizing family in, in and through um, the reconstruction of our queer indigeneity uh, bodies and practices. It could even find its way to uh, rodeos, how the Latinx rodeo, uh, you know, and the participants kind of push against, even though it's within a Euro white tradition push against and allow for non-binary latinx vaqueros to exist and what that means for you know us and our communities yeah thank you for that kind of concise uh uh recapitulation of of this you know huge huge volume i I believe there are 18 contributors total is that right yeah i think that's right yeah i want to go to the introduction which which you co-wrote um and it opens with a lot of these negative tropes of latino mm-hmm. masculinity and popular culture that you were just talking about a bit right now especially as articulated by donald trump mm-hmm. and it's clear especially in the in the last um section of essays that this volume is suggesting the existence of an alternative mm-hmm. uh, but with the staying power of what we could call toxic machismo Mm-hmm. Um, how can uh, we put forward or or uh, popularize this idea of a reclaimed, healing, and or decolonial masculinity? Um, mm-hmm. How how does that become the norm in your view? Yeah, you know, I think this is where, for instance, we need to kind of lock arms with the Black Lives Movement. It's this sounds maybe a little bit strange, but um, what I mean by that is that already in our communities and our families, we have and we see different forms of fear operating, fear operating and expressed even in and through uh, racism toward our African American brothers and sisters. Um, so we decolonizing actions and behavior and opening to um, this sort of spectrum of ways of existing, it, it needs to go hand in hand also with kind of race and racism within our communities. And the question of how do we unlearn And how do we unlearn behaviors that lead to hate and fear is a really seminal, sort of deep, important question. But we might also ask that same question of, you know, how, you know, when we're raising our children to be adults within, you know, families, a social network, and then bigger spaces, how do we raise them to also exist beyond hate and fear and to grow their emotion systems in ways that are much more uh, 
nuanced and complex and em- embraceive and inclusive. And it does start there. So I mean, by that, I mean, it does start the second that, you know, the little ones are brought into the world. It also happens in very big bursts as the development of children, you know, takes place. Um, so there's that big one, zero to six years old. And then there's another big one during teenhood. And then, of course, there's the big one in college. And really, something like decolonizing masculinities is it's not exactly a how to guide, of course, but it is definitely um, a way for professors, teachers, um, creators to think in concepts that are critical of business as usual and that give us the tools and the concepts to understand how this business of us- as usual is working its way and continuing to work its way into our communities and how we can see it objectively and then destroy it and or unlearn it but really the real deep work has to start at the very early early ages right so In a way, I mean, to be, if I'm going to be completely candid and not, and totally idealistic, something like Latinx masculinities is, is coming, um, decolonizing Latinx masculinities is coming as a kind of band-aid, but it is a reminder, a deep reminder that in our classrooms, in college, that in our classrooms in high school, wherever we can take this, and then in our discussions and conversations with family members, that there are people thinking about this in really deep and systematic ways that offer concepts and knowledge and tools for dismantling, and that we don't have to just be passive recipients um, and continue kind of business as usual, that we can understand where something like uh, Trump, uh, you know, administrative, the sort of cheetah way of kind of denigrating and calling us, you know, all of these names um, and, you know, telling us that we are bad hombres or that we are uh, narcos or rapists, all of these things can be dismantled and that the dismantling needs to go hand in hand with also the dismantling of the way race and racism and class and classism as attached to race and racism in this country operates. It's interesting to me that you mention the next generation of young people who are in many ways, more likely to self-identify as Latinx and participate in this ongoing project of pan-ethnic identity building. Uh, But when it comes to the manifestation of masculinities, particularly in this volume, how do the many national origin subgroups that might fall under the Latinx category, um, how do those different groups, you know, let's say Mexicans or Cubans, how do they converge and diverge in terms of masculinities in this book? 
Mm. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, yes, definitely. The energy of this book is coming from young gen Latinx creator scholars. They are the ones leading the charge. They're the ones modeling this vital and vigorous 21st century decolonizing ontological and epistemological practice. Absolutely. Um, we, you know, slightly older folks are, you know, energized, revitalized by this Latinx, you know, uh, scholarly and creative push and drive and yeah, energy. I love it. It's amazing. It's transformative. It's, it's, it's everything. Um, so the, um, Jaime, can you remind me what we were just talking about? I just lost that thread. Yeah, I was just saying, uh, you know, there's a generation that identify. Oh, yes. the, more, common, the then, common ground. Yeah, the common ground. Uh-huh. So, of course, the common ground is, is greater, right, than the, the differences. Of course, we have historical, cultural differences. But when you kind of drill in and dig deep, um, histories of Catholicism, histories of colonization, histories of 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 living with and under uh, kind of whiteness as the rule, uh, machista patri- heteropatriarchy as the kind of norm. All of these hold us together in really, uh, uh, really um, deep ways. There are, of course, you know, cultural differences and inf- and those inflect in the ways that we're seeing, for instance, I don't know, a, a queer Latinx rodeo um, in the Southwest versus um, a, a, a queer um, or a, an expression of masculinities in a spoken word uh, poem you know, created by a Cuban Latinx in Florida. We're going to have different cultural references. We're going to have different traditions informing traditions that have been themselves syncretically blended and made new in those spaces. So yeah, we're, but until we are past, until we are finally past thinking and acting in ways that still bind us to those legacies of colonization, of religious, both religious and material colonization, uh, you know, we're going to have more of a common denominator from Boricua, Cuban, Central American ancestral, Mexican ancestral Latinxes in the U.S. Then we're going to have any kinds of differences. Absolutely, and I think. This common ground that's created by the long legacy of colonial thinking and social norms also implies that all of these kind of potentially disparate communities also have the shared task of unlearning, like you called it earlier. Yes, absolutely. And some have it deeper. I mean, I'll be honest, um, you know, different historical and political conditions of, for instance, um, you know, placement in the U.S. have determined differently the kind of polit- uh, a, a worldview of the different um, demographics that make up the Latinx U.S. community. So, 
you know, this is a generalization, but you know, the the way that say Cuba uh, and Cubans um, have, you know, in different waves, of course, different historical periods have been accepted um, into the United States. Um, you know, differs from the ways that Mexican Latinxes have, and even predating all of that, the way the border kind of moved across Mexicans to make them U.S. right um, secondary U.S. citizens, right? So those things, depending on our histories and our and our communities and where our families have been kind of grown from, might need deeper work in different places. Absolutely. And I think that one of the challenges that we face now in this interview is that with an edited volume, there's so much to unpack. And I would just like to suggest to our listeners to really take a look at this book because there are 18 different essays that we can't possibly talk about in our short time together. Um, But before we go, I'm sure we'd love to know what's next for you, Dr. Aldama, in the research pipeline. So my work has really become, um, my work has always been this way, but it's become more visibly this, which is to say I'm, you know, continuing to, to write my fiction books and publish them. You know, there's another adventure um, coming up in the Adventures of Chupacabra Charlie. That's going to follow Lupe. Uh, there's uh, my comic graphic novel called Labyrinths Born, which is set in the future and gravitates in and around a daughter-father relationship after the event and what it means to rebuild uh, a new generation rebuilding and a new generation unlearning and unlearning and then moving forward to create new social relations to imagine and to materialize new emotion systems and actions and behaviors that's happening along with a documentary on Latinx cinema. And of course, um, my continued work in scholarly spaces, especially comics in and around gender and sexuality and race, uh, really expanding and in a way decolonizing even that space that had grown from, you know, a very straight white dude, you know, scholarly impulse and really be pushing that into these spaces of inclusivity. So my work in comics, my work in documentary film, my work in fiction making, all of that's happening. Well, without a doubt, there's so much in store for us then. And once again, listeners, we've been talking with Dr. Frederick Aldama about the edited volume, Decolonizing Latinx Masculinities, new from the University of Arizona Press. Frederick, mil gracias for being with us here on New Books Latino. Gracias a ti, Jaime. And anytime, I'm here for you guys. Thanks. 